Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Folks, my guest today, Beth Sadu, is the Chief Operating Officer and CMO at the Stagwell Group. She manages the business, marketing, product, and tech acquisition efforts of their entire portfolio, which houses an arsenal of different digital marketing solutions and agencies like Code and Theory, Scout, and N. RG. And prior to the Stagwell Group, Beth worked with K Street Capital to identify and empower high potential entrepreneurs through their network of angel investors. And she's also spent five years working with Politico and ran over 500 successful events as a creative mind behind their award-winning live event series. And Beth has a wealth of experience and insight and drive to build and empower teams that bring a different approach to solving problems. We're going to dig into that, her career, so much more, and that mindset to being successful. Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Fantastic. So let's let's dig in here. For folks that may not know you, I'd love if you could share a little bit of insight into your career story. How did you get from where you were to where you are today? Um, you know, this is one of those things that always seems uh, more linear in the telling than it was, but uh, I grew up in California. I thought I wanted to be in politics. I came to Washington, D.C. because I thought I wanted to be a, a political journalist. Um, after a, a brief stint in grad school, I came back and I got what I thought was going to be the career move. I was a producer at CBS News as my first job after grad school. It was during a campaign season. I will not tell you the exact year for fear of dating myself. <laughs> um, but I had a great time. I ran around being a political journalist for you know a year and change. And then the election ended and CBS was uh, very gracious. They kept me on, but it turns out I didn't like being a journalist if it wasn't about politics. Uh, and so I, um, you know, I sort of had to pivot and it happened that a former source of mine knew the guy who was helping Tony Blair with one of his reelection campaigns. And I had gone to grad school in England. So I went and worked with Tony Blair on his campaign. That's cool. It was, it was a, you know, great experience for a, you know, young, young person. You don't, you know, I think I packed a suitcase and thought I was going to be gone I mean, for six incredible weeks. Incredible access. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, a British campaign, this was a while ago, but at that time, they're a really small group. So an American presidential campaign has thousands of people on payroll. You know, a British campaign has like a hundred, wow. maybe, yeah. you know, like 30. So incredible access, really great experience. Did the campaign. And then I kept working um, with the person who had been running the, the polling for him, Mark Penn. It's been about 
five years with um, Mark Penn's consulting firm, doing polling, doing communications consulting. And then one of my clients, um, Politico, hired me to start their uh, live events division, which today is called Politico Live, but at the time was uh, literally me. I was hire number one, and it was taking what I had figured out how to do before, which is communicate other people's message. So this was communicating Politico's message and bringing people to the Politico stage uh, to learn about what we did. I was there for another five-ish years. There's a pattern here. I stay places about five-ish years. Um, and then um, the person that I'd worked for um, with Tony Blair and afterwards called and said, uh, hey, me and Steve Ballmer, the former CEO of Microsoft, were thinking about starting this uh, sort of modern think tank, a do tank, if you will. Would you be interested in working with us? And I thought that sounds cool. Yeah, when you hear um, Steve Ballmer's name being thrown around there, something that you have <laughs> your ears perk up and you have to consider that. Exactly. Um, so, you know, had a chance to work with Steve and and Mark, you know, pretty closely for about a year. And then Steve decided that he wanted to do something different with with his organization. You you look thoughtful. Do you have a yeah, question? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I do. I'm I'm kind of pondering here. What 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 was like, you know, the big takeaway? What was one of those big lessons that you learned from working directly from someone like Steve Bomber? Um, well, not surprisingly, Steve is a genius. He has um, the gift of looking at numbers and seeing all the detail in them. Like he is not someone that you're just going to present a top line to and he's going to be like, okay, sure, that's and fine. move on to what are we going to do about that? He wants to know all the numbers in real detail, which actually goes to what he's doing now, which is an organization that he started called USA Facts. It's a nonpartisan group dedicated to aggregating and sharing with people for free government facts. And Steve's insight about this is that if you don't actually know how your government spends your money now, or you know how many schools there are, how many guns are there really, um, then you can't possibly have an informed debate. Right. Um, and I think it's important to say that Steve started this before the, the current administration and the, the idea of fake news was a thing and uh, turns out to be incredibly prescient. Yeah. Um, and I would encourage everyone to check out usafacts.org in their, their spare and time. That's awesome. And, and how much of that thought process do you apply now in your leadership role? I'm jumping ahead a little bit and we'll get back to your career, but like that, that, that detail to numbers and really, you know, pushing the folks that work for you to really break those numbers down and understand what they mean and what they drive. So what I focus on now is essentially, so now I work at a private equity firm that Steve funds. Um, I switched from his do tank to his private equity firm. Um, and I do everything that's not the financial engineering. So I don't do the accounting. I don't do the um, deciding on the final deal terms. What I, my job is, is to take the companies that we've acquired and help them through our shared services. And that's marketing, new business, um, product, and sort of tech development. So I don't want to say there's no numbers involved. The numbers um, help inform a story yeah. and help inform the facts. Yeah, you're not crunching yeah. them. Um, the, what, the key numbers for us right now are how do you build a scaled marketing machine? How many people do you need to talk to? How do you build a CRM that tracks what they're interested in? How do we reach out to them? How do we make sure 
our content, our capabilities, our products are uh, speaking to the people we know and what they're engaging with. And then how do we get more people in our funnel? No, that's, that's fantastic. How much do you miss uh, or do you miss the, the live event world going back to early in your career? Uh, I don't miss it at all. Um, <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know, when I was doing events was a different time. I mean, YouTube had been invented, but social media was still relatively small. And I mean, even before COVID, you know, I think I, I, I did hundreds of events. I think I got it out of my system. Um, I always pre uh, enjoy going to a well-produced event. Um, but the thing that um, actually where I started in my career and the events world have in common, you know, in politics, there's election day. There's a moment where you know you've won or lost. And when you produce an event, you know whether or not it went well or it didn't. Uh, how many people came? How many people tweeted about it? Were the speakers interesting? Did people pick it up? Did we make news? There is a moment and it's really easy to see if you've succeeded. And I miss that because hmm. in the sort of more broad marketing world, you know, you don't have that single measure of success, that single moment where, you know, you, you nailed it. You can right. that emotion, you can feel it there. You can yeah. see the, the faces of everyone around you. Well, we'll get back to that. I, I think that, you know, one, one, in one, one way or another, one method, I think that, you know, even post COVID, there'll be a way for us to, to be back together because people miss it. From, people are, from, uh, humans people are you. social creatures for sure. Yeah. And, and it's driving a lot there, but I want to go back and talk about, you know, your time at K street capital, uh, working with entrepreneurs there. What were, you know, some of those insights, some of those things that you look for to really identify a real potential high growth individuals and, and companies. Sure. So K Street Capital has been around for about a decade. Um, and I was a member for, I don't know, four or five years. And eventually I, I stopped being a member because there were just so many, only so many hours in the day. Um, but basically we would have two to three companies come and present to a group of us every month. So over the course of a year, you know, you're seeing 20-ish different, um, different companies. And I will say the number one thing for me, and this is true, is do you buy the vision of the entrepreneur and do you buy that he or she has a like that this is in their gut, it's in their soul as something they want to do? Because it's really hard to start a company. Um, you know, it's it's really hard to have a, a successful uh, podcast business. So Takes for work. me, it was all about the entrepreneur. Did they have specialized knowledge that gave them a sense they'd identified a real niche? Did they believe in their product? Um, did they know what they were good at, what they're not good at? And, you know, because you're going to build your team differently depending on your level of insight into your what you're good or bad at. Um, and sorry, go ahead. I think that's tremendous, tremendous insight right there. Um, you know, that's when I think about my team, you know, the people I work with now. Um, they have different skills than me. Sometimes it makes me uncomfortable because I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. That's good. You're supposed to have people who would do it differently than you. Um, right, when people say surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, that that one. But the analogy that comes to mind when you're talking about your time at K Street Capital is, you know, I, I hear a lot, especially from investors, is you bet on the jockey and not the horse. That's, that's the analogy I hear as well, too. Um, would you say that's true with your kind of mindset when it comes to evaluating entrepreneurs? For me, for sure. Um, 
well, you're betting on the person and their ability to uh, execute a vision that they've come up with. So it's not that the, the vision doesn't matter. You have to have had the right idea, but then can you execute on it? Yeah. And actually it's the same at, at Stagwell because we invest in services businesses, which basically means, you know, use a different analogy, uh, the, the asset goes up and down in the elevator. The asset is the people. So you are betting on the humans. We're not necess- We're not investing in SaaS platforms. Right. There's a delivery. There's a product delivery. A delivery, uh, often in a tech-enabled way by a human, but still by a human. The human, the human's on the side of it. So let's talk about your current role at Stagwell. How do you balance the operational side and the marketing side? And how much intersection is there? Is it, is it, does it make it easier? Like, I don't know if people could be the CFO and the CMO, but being the CEO <laughs> and the CMO, how do you balance it all, Beth? Uh, I don't balance it all. Uh, <laughs> I think balance is a myth. So we have an amazing team. And over time, my role has gone from being really heavy operations, you know, starting shared benefits, shared real estate, you know, exciting things like business insurance um, to really, you know, I'm uh, my operational role right now is much more focused on our technology and our shared IT. And that's because our shared view about the importance of technology feeds into how we go to market. So we have an amazing team that does all of the heavy work on operations. And really, I'm focused on marketing, new business, uh, and product. And by product, we mean tech products or tech-enabled products. Yeah, and and how is that? You know, the shared resource model is interesting. I I work with one of my big clients now on a shared resource model. And I think that when you explain it to people, um, it makes so much sense. But pulling back the curtain internally, you know, what's that evaluation process like? How do you figure out, you know, that alignment across brands and ensuring continuity? Um, So part of the alignment comes from the the proposition when a brand decides to sell to Stagwell, when they become part of the Stagwell family. We say from the beginning, here's the shared services we have now, and here's the ones we intend to have in six months or 12 months. And we're investing in complementary assets, not competitive ones. So people come into the group expecting that collaboration is not only um, encouraged, but essentially required. Our pitch is not we give you money and then we leave you alone. That's that's plenty right. of groups who will do that. And if that's yeah. what you want, people you want money. There's other places for money. If you want more than that, yeah. it's a value. It's a value of the uh, investment. And we think that part of the value of our investment is our shared vision, our shared services, our shared resources. Uh, so that's I think that's sort of the table stakes in terms of how you get people on board. Uh, you offer them a compelling product, you know, you're selling to yourself in some ways. Um, you save the money, you make something more efficient, you give them opportunities they wouldn't have had. And then there is also the idea that we talk about that, you know, a particular shared resource you may benefit from or you may not. But over the course, if we offer 10 shared services, you will benefit from more than five. Doesn't mean you have to nail all 10. We shouldn't right. only do the things that all 10 are going to get. Yeah. And the com- and the concept is for anyone listening that doesn't understand, it's acceleration. The the investment is to also help these brands accelerate that we're that the companies are purchasing, acquiring, and investing in. The faster that they could accelerate, you know, from a growth perspective from that investment, everyone wins in the end. It's it's Correct. a it's it's a continuous uh, you know feedback there. So I want to talk a little bit about how you build teams, how you manage teams, and 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 how you lead people for a little bit. 
when someone's coming to interview with you directly, there are a couple of interview questions that you, they're kind of like your go-to where you could assess character, skill, aptitude. What are, what are some of those uh, secret questions here? If you don't mind sharing. Not at all. Um, so I think always... interviewing with Beth, I mean, you should Google this and you should be able to find it and get some tips here. Uh, I, the first question I ask is tell me about the job you think you're applying for. Hmm. Cause by the time someone's talked to me, I'm usually not the first interview. No. Um, so, you know, if you've talked to one other person or 10 other people, do you have a clear sense of what the job is and does that match with what I think the team has said we need in the role? Um, I always ask people what they want to do in a job and what they don't want to do in a job. And it's a red flag for me when people don't have an answer to what they don't want to do in a job. Do you recall, but I want to pause on that for a second. Do you recall something early on in your career that you did not enjoy doing that you said, you know what, I never want to do this for the next, you know, 15, 20 years of my career. <laughs> if I never want to see a damn spreadsheet again or something like that. Mm. I think that's basically the realization that I had when I left CBS was that this that I didn't want to be a journalist in a traditional sense, even though that is what I had thought I wanted to do. Um, and I think it was, I didn't love the act of journalism without the politics in it, which hmm. explains how I got to Politico, which is all political journalism. Um, and so I think it was, I didn't want to be a generalist if I was going to be a journalist. Um, yeah, trying to think about sense. other things. I mean, sure, there's I, stuff I I don't want to do again. I I don't want to only have one client. Um, like the diversity. I need diversity. It's important to me. Otherwise, I don't. I just get stuck. I get it gets a little close that's a, for me. That's a lot of people too. A lot of people do that too. And I, and it's something that I talk about a lot on my show, especially with younger folks um, early on in their careers. Is and you you hit you hit this earlier. It's not so much what you enjoy doing, but it's about understanding what you don't like to do. So as you evaluate opportunities moving forward, you could say, you know, I enjoyed this, but I don't like this, and here are the reasons why, um, and unpack it. So going back to the original question here, we're talking about the interview process on your team. Yeah. And, and character is 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 something that's it's a gut feeling. You know, it's something that I you know from from my role as a recruiter, my seat as a recruiter, working with hiring managers, working with executives mm -hmm. at, at every single level there. Um, now, character is something when you're in person with somebody and you could feel it and you could see them and you could see the body language. How is that translating now? I assuming that I would say mostly, if not all of the recruiting and hiring process is now remote. How do you measure and gauge character remotely? You know, I'm not, for me, there's going to be a fit and there's going to be a pace in how someone thinks and how they act and how they've approached their career. Um, I, I might have been Oprah, like surround yourself with people that run at the same pace as you. I don't know. I'm sure I didn't make that up. <laughs> um, but for me, it's less about who the person is than about how they're going to act in the job and how they're going to interact with their potential colleagues. Um, I also think it's uh, for me right now about being focused on diversity of thoughts. Um, and I'm really, really looking for that. Also general diversity, but I, I think diversity and diversity of thought go together. Yeah, I think I think that's a good one there too. So, you know, may I ask how many, how many people directly report to you right now? Directly, uh, three and a half. What is a half Four. a person? 
Yeah. I mean, so, one of the one of the parts of having a shared services function is that you're going to have people who spend all of their time on the project you're working together or only some of their time. And so that that's really where the half a person comes in. She has a full time job, just not all the time with me. <laughs> oh, I, I, I totally get it. I'm certainly living in that. So, you know, and again, in this day and age of, of not being together in a physical workspace, how do you keep the continuity of culture? How do you keep that team vibe, the energy, the spirit? How do you keep that moving? Uh, you know, we have a, a camera on rule for our team meetings and we do a team meeting every morning um, and spend 15, 20, 30 minutes with each other chatting. It's not always about work. Um, <coughs> excuse me, not always about work, um, but just checking in with people, um, making sure they can see you, um, making sure that when you ask how they're doing, you're actually interested in the answer and that you're, you're, looking your phone. <laughs> <laughs> you're engaged in the answer. Um, and, you know, being mindful that um, particularly in COVID, everyone is having a shared experience, but everyone is having a very different Absolutely. kind of shared experience. You know, the people I work with who are, you know, got kids are in a very different place than the ones that are, you know, alone in their their studio apartments. Yeah, and you have to you have to address each one individually, and and obviously without sharing any names or anything. But you know how how have you dealt with, you know maybe someone on your team, maybe someone in the company has you know you've seen productivity go down, and this is someone who's normally like a, a high performer. I mean these are these are tough conversations to have in, in uncharted territory. You know how are you approaching it, and how is that maybe changing you as a leader? You know, I, I think uh, empathy is really hard to do over the phone. It's one of the great gifts of COVID happening in 2020 as opposed to, you know, 2002. You can look at people, you can see it in their eyes, you can, you know, know, you know, sort of the, the focus isn't there. Um, I think how it's changing me as a leader is being really mindful about always pushing, is this person having it? I don't want to say a good experience, like warm, fuzzy, but like, is this the right person in the right role? Um, and if not, let's let's change that um, because right. life's way too short to have the wrong people in the wrong seats. Not only for me as an employer, but really for them. You know, they're not they're not happy if they're in a role that doesn't suit. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And something that you're passionate about is, is supporting people in their career. And I want to unpack that um, a little bit. Is there like a first step? If if is it, is it is it like a continuous thing where you're where you're mentoring folks, whether officially or unofficially, or is it more just from a guidance perspective when it comes to uh, you know supporting folks in their career journey? So I think the insight that is important when I'm talking to people about their career journey is that it is about their personal career journey and not about their career journey working with me. Like, yes, I'm interested in helping you succeed in your goals at the Stagwell group, but I assume you're not going to work at Stagwell or at Politico or at CBS for the rest of your life. In fact, I would say the chances of that are basically not, zero. Not these days. Not these days. I mean, my father is one of those people who's he's had lifer? the same. He's a lifer. Um, well, they don't make them like that anymore. They don't. And no. so I think as a, a boss and as a mentor, the, my push to people is, okay, what are you doing now? But then what do you want to be doing in five years? Um, and don't talk about 10 years. Like, I don't know what anything's going to look at in 10 years. Um, but what are the, the things that you want to do that have nothing to do with you succeeding or getting a raise or a promotion here? Um, I have 
had the great privilege of working with a lot of people for whom it is their first job out of college or grad school. And that's a lot about sort of reminding people and finding a, a warm, nice way to tell people, you know, like the, the workplace has rules and guideposts and here's how you want to set yourself up to succeed. And, you know, don't worry about being friends with everyone. Worry about like, are you getting your job done? Are you getting what you want out of this opportunity? Uh, and I, you know, I'm close with a couple of the, the kids that I hired right out of school still, and they're, they're doing great. And awesome. um, I think the other piece is, and this is really important for any team, part of being a mentor and part of nurturing teams is your team knowing that you are going to have their back as, as decisions get made. If uh, I'm presenting something that a, a team member member did and it's not going well, it's my presentation. It's never gonna, uh, the shit is never gonna flow downstream with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be that wall and be that advocate, even if it's, you know, not quite that way behind the scenes. And that's tremendous. I mean, that's a, that's a tremendous example of leadership and, and kudos on you uh, for that. So how do you guide folks, especially younger in their careers, like navigating in a, in a big, large matrix corporate environment because mm -hmm. it could be overwhelming right i mean i know i mean one of my early roles i was in american express and i walked in and i'm like what the f is this like <laughs> literally i'm in a building with 30 floors of people that all work for the same company who do i talk to how do i get things done and it could be overwhelming at times um and i was lucky enough to have somebody there that took me under their wing and, and really broke it down to make it more manageable how do you provide guidance around that area so we haven't talked about things I'm not good at, but I've never worked at a giant company like an American Express. Um, that was my last one, by the way. That's my first and last big one. Um, I've always worked in either smaller companies or companies, like when I started at Politico, there were under 100 people there. When I left, it was, I don't know, 600, 700. Mm. So I've been part of the growth process. So I don't know that I would give people really great um, big matrix, um, but I think um, yeah, but even a midsize, you, even you know, if a company's a couple hundred people, yeah. that could be overwhelming. Couple hundred, couple thousand, you have to be able to put yourself in the other person's shoes, um, be empathetic about what Joe or Sally is going through, and about what Joe and Sally's boss is going through. Like, what are their motivations? And also, and this is something I did not do well. Don't ask your boss to solve a problem that he or she can't solve. Like don't make right don't make your success contingent on your boss solving a problem that he or she just can't solve for whatever reason. Um, so you got to put yourself in the other person's shoe. Uh, you got to give people solutions or problems that they can solve, um, and you got to work hard. Like. Yeah, I love um, it. Uh, I always used to say like, you know, no is not an acceptable answer. Like be solution oriented was written on my wall. Um, there are almost no problems that we face in in work jobs that cannot be solved with the proper application of time, money. And, you know, time is really a code for effort there. So you got to you got to work hard. That, that's solid. And and you have one of the toughest jobs in the world being, you know, being a, a uh, mom, no, a working I, I mom. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, listen, I mean, kudos to all the, the moms out there that are balancing it. I mean, I see it firsthand, uh, you know, when, when I go home. But what is some advice that you would give to, to working moms out there to help them, you know, stay career focused and further their career? Because it's, it's hard. It's hard balancing. 
Uh, balance is yeah. the wrong word. It's more juggling than balancing. Yes, I was going to say. Um, <laughs> it's a juggling act for sure. It is a, a high wire juggling act. So <laughs> I have a lot of support. Um, otherwise, I couldn't do it. Um, and I am very lucky, very privileged that I have a, you know, a good salary so I can afford to get support um, and know that my t- kids are being taken good care of when they're not with me. Um, I do think the number one, well, not number one. So A, it gets better. As they get older, they are more independent. You sleep better. They're more fun. Sleep is a key word. (laughs) I know some people love the baby phase. I'm not one of those people. The older my kids get, and I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old. We're in the same boat, (laughs) There you go. I'm I'm eight too, yeah. (laughs) To me, it's more fun, and it's more manageable the older they get and the more of an interactivity you can have with the kids. They can understand, like... Yeah, mommy is mommy has to do this call. Um, you know, I, I say to my kids, and this is not totally true, but it's helpful for them. <clears throat> all mommies go to work and all mommies come home because they have separation anxiety. Um, you know, I say, you know, we have to work for the things we want. Back to our, our conversation about you have to work hard. Mommy has to work for all these wonderful things. And my kids are now old enough that they appreciate that. They get it. Um you know, I think on the other side, you have to be really clear with your employer about where your lines are. So, m- yep. Um, every night from 5.30 to 8, I am offline. Um, it's basically the only uninterrupted time I have with my kids. Um, and I'm really protective of it. And it's my precious. employer... And my employer is protective of it. It, it could wait. And, 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 and the fact that your employer respects that and honors that, and, and you're also laying out the expectations internally and externally. Everyone knows Beth is off the grid. That's family time. Yep. And they respect and that and appreciate that. It's a two-way street. Uh, I don't know if they respect and appreciate it, but it's the deal that I've made and it's the, it's my way of doing it. And, um, you know, when I used to travel and I assume I will travel again one day, uh, I would always say I wouldn't be a- away for more than two sleeps in a row. Uh, you know, as the kids get older, maybe that changes. I don't know. Um, and the other thing, and this is uh, actually the most important advice, um, is never turn down a job you haven't been offered. Um, this is good advice for interviewing, good advice for trying to get a promotion, good advice for, you know, thinking about any career step. Uh, and particularly something that women are bad at, let's be candid. If you haven't been offered the job, don't take yourself out of the running. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't say you can't get it. Like go after it and try to get it. And if you get it, great. Then you figure out if you want it, but never turn down a job you haven't been offered. And working moms accidentally turn down jobs. They haven't been offered all the time. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm smirking because I've, I've experienced that <laughs> at home too. Yeah, for sure there. Beth, what is, thank you so much. I mean, this has been fantastic. What is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life? Action on every single day of my life. That mantra, that thing, that one thing you repeat to yourself that's in your head all the time, something that really guides you. You know, the single best piece of advice, and I should have given him credit, the the never turn down a job you haven't been offered is something my father told me um, when I was little. Um, and earlier I said, there's nothing that can't be uh, solved with time or money. That's something my mother told me when I was little. There, um, 
good advice givers. Um, but I do genuinely think there's nothing that can't be solved is my mantra. There's always a solution. There's always a way forward, whether or not it's getting my three-year-old out the door wearing some form of clothing or, and footwear. It, <laughs> you know, you gotta, I, I may overstate matters. Um, but I do genuinely like, don't take no for an answer, be solution oriented. There's nothing that cannot be solved, you know, in my universe right now. I love it. That's fantastic. And I love to end every show on a positive note. Um, and there's been a lot of silver linings over the last, I can't believe, eight months during the pandemic. Okay. I would love if you could share one personal silver lining and one professional silver lining that you have experienced. Um, so personal silver lining. Um, my six-year-old is just on the brink of reading. And she's a very anxious reader. She's worried she's going to get it wrong. Um, but I think being home and having some extra support has has nudged her. We're not a hundred percent of the way there yet, but we're I think we're much closer than if if we hadn't been home together. Right, that's fantastic. Um, you know, professional silver lining. Um, I've gotten to spend more sustained time talking to people, um, particularly senior people around our companies because people aren't bouncing around traveling. Um, people you know, I've been yeah, people are more accessible. And so I've been able to actually make the the one-on-ones or schedule the one-on-ones or have the slightly longer conversations with a lot of people. And that's been great. That's fantastic. And last but not least, Beth, um, before we before we came on the call, you said it's been a crazy morning and you have those crazy mornings, those crazy days, those crazy weeks, those crazy months. That's just part of, of being in a leadership position, being a parent and what we call life. And there's times when you got to dig down deep, right? And you got to like pull that, that something inside of you, that fire, that drive, that inner tenacity. And on the flip side of that, when you, you know, you're sitting there with your six-year-old and, you know, she just finished reading, you know, a couple of pages. Um, she, right? Daughter? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Two, right? Two girls. And she just finished reading and you're so proud of her and you just want to express gratitude for everything that you've accomplished and everything that you have in life. Beth, what is your North Star? What do you look to guide you? What's your compass? Oh, probably my mom. Like, um, she's got a really good head on her shoulders. She is one of those endless supports. Um, probably my mom. I She'll get all teary if she hears this. <laughs> well, hopefully she will. We need more than one listener on this show. No, <laughs> I, think, I think so many folks are going to find a tremendous amount of value. Beth, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I, I greatly appreciate it. I hope we can continue our relationship and build on that. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Um, and if you need any tips on books, I got a bunch. My daughter's able to get good ones. And it's our a challenge, deal. I would love that. Our challenge, our challenge now is is getting her on the bike. All of her friends are riding the bike, and she's being ah. it's a tough one there. Um, I'll but, trade you bikes for books. Yeah, that sounds like a good deal. Um, Beth, where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Um, so any, I'll give you guys all my email. Beth at stagwellgroup.com. Uh, don't be shy. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't really do the Twitters or the Instagrams. Um, the TikTok. Oh, no one wants to see me dance. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, email is the best way. I know it's a little old school, but I actually like to read my own emails and respond to them. So awesome. uh, there or, you know, uh, stagwellgroup.com. Awesome. Beth, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
Awesome. And everyone joining us today on the podcast, thank you so much for your time and attention. We greatly appreciate it. Feel free to drop comments, share it. You know where to find us, thepodcast.com. You can find this episode and many, many more. And if you love it, please leave a rating and review. Helps drive the show forward. And also remember, in this day and age, wash your hands, stay six feet apart, take care of each other, and catch us next week for another great episode of The podcast. Thanks, all. To join the conversation, search The podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.